Hey everyone, this is John Hansen, and you're listening to The Ballot, a Block Club Chicago podcast. We've been a little dormant for the past few weeks. Obviously, we're past the election, but we are going to still drop pods on you from time to time, talking about all things politics, city council issues, things happening with the mayor, etc., etc. During the campaigns, plural, you heard a lot of uh, one-on-one interviews with candidates analysis, too. We'll keep up on that. And in that vein, uh, we're going to drop a pod on you right now. We have a TV show. It's called On the Block. It's with our friends at WCIU and CW26Chicago.com. And host Brandon Pope got a chance to interview Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson. And here's their full-length interview from this week. Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson in the house. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good Appreciate to see you. It. If you don't know, now you know, now right? Now you know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Safe to say you're a Biggie fan. Listen, um, <laughs> the entire era of, of hip-hop, you know, during my upbringing, um, you know, is far more, um, it's not just p- political speech, but mm-hmm. it's also old school. So I'm also officially old school. Official, an old head, as they call them, right? D- d- now you're provoking me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, man, we're going to jump into some questions. We got um, some questions here from people around Chicago. But first, just want to ask you, like, how's it going? How's the transition going for you? Yeah, the transition is going very well. In fact, um, all of our industries, um, all of our stakeholders are all asking the same question. What can the, they do to help? And so whether that's a, a, a CEO, uh, whether that's an owner whether of, a, of a, a large corporation or a small business, um, owner, whether that's a teacher, a child care worker, um, police officers, um, everyone is committed to uniting the city of Chicago. And my wife and I, we are incredibly humbled um, by this responsibility. And of course, we're looking forward to to actually turning the corner and leaving the city. You know, it was great to see that image of you and Mayor Lori Lightfoot meeting each other, the, the yeah. first black woman LGBT mayor, our, our third black man mayor here in the yeah. city. Special moment. What kind of support has she offered you during this process? You know, Mayor Lightfoot has been remarkable. Um, you know, I'm grateful for um, her support during this entire transition, the advice that she gives. You know, Mayor Lightfoot is never short of offering up advice mm-hmm. and, uh, and giving it in a way that is authentic and straight and to the point. And I've appreciated that. And again, this, this transition uh, moment um, is not as smooth if it were not for um, her leadership and commitment to making sure that we're off to a good start. Well, she's leaving you with a full plate of stuff, big events coming to Chicago. So I want to start by asking you about NASCAR. Uh, It's got some residents unhappy. Some are pretty excited for it. I talked to some aldermen. They're concerned that all the police are going to be downtown, kind of leaving their neighborhoods out Mm -hmm. to dry. So do you have any idea what the strategy is going to be policing wise for that event? What are you thinking? Yeah, we're working through all the logistics. You know, you know, look, you know, these opportunities where we can showcase our city. Um, and find innovative ways uh, to bring industry and interest to the city of Chicago. Of course, I support that. Obviously, the concern that residents of, uh, of this particular neighborhood have are legitimate. And so what my responsibility is going to be is to make sure that the logistics um, are all solid and they speak to um, essentially the, the values that, that we have as a city to ensure that the people who reside in the city of Chicago um, get to not only participate um, in, in these opportunities, uh, but their lives are not um, entirely interrupted as a result of these amenities that we're bringing. 
How about the Chicago Casino? Are you prepared to see those plans through? What's your stance on that? Well, you know, look, I mean, I think the opportunity to, to create jobs and economic opportunities for the residents of the, uh, residents of the city of Chicago, um, you know, that we, we, we obviously, you know, want to see more of those opportunities created. Um, this is a very similar dynamic in terms of logistics and, and how this will look in its complete uh, fruition. Um, that process, I'm having conversations with all of the stakeholders to do the very same thing, to make sure that all voices are heard and that this moves um, with the spirit in which the city of Chicago um, reflects. And that's, again, making sure that all stakeholders have a, have a say in what it ultimately looks like. All right, the Chicago Bears, you're a sports guy. Uh, <laughs> is it a lost cause at this point? Are they, are they, are they going to leave Chicago? Is there anything you can do to keep them here? Well, I'm certainly having conversations with a number of people um, to think through on our team strategies um, to, to, to give um, you know, that much more incentive for the Bears to stay in the city of Chicago without, of course, um, harming taxpayers. Right? What are some of the ideas you may have? Well, we're, we're still in negotiations <laughs> around our transition. You don't want to air those out yet. Ultimately, going to pr propose. Um, and here's the thing. I said it you know, throughout the, the campaign. Um, the Bears are, uh, it's a major institution. And having grown up in the 80s and 90s, um, I still have fond memories of the Chicago Bears. And of course, we want a winning team, but we also want a team that actually wants to stay here. And, and I believe that, you know, that there's, there's a desire um, to come to an agreement. And as long as there's a desire, I believe that then there's a way. All right, from X's and O's to a different type of strategy, let's talk about a big issue on a lot of people's minds that echoed throughout the campaign, and that's crime, mm -hmm. violence in the area. Uh, here's our first question from a Loop president. I would like to know how to keep my neighborhood safe. I'm across the street from Millennium Park, and it is no longer a safe place, in my opinion. What are you doing to keep our streets and our neighborhoods, and the Loop especially, safe? All right, Mayor Elect. Well, there's obviously a lot of concern around public safety throughout the city of Chicago. And, you know, my responsibility is to make sure that every single neighborhood is a thriving community. And it's a community that, that the residents of Chicago feel comfortable walking um, their families in those very communities. And I've said this repeatedly. My wife and I were raising our three young children in Austin on the west side of Chicago. It's a beautiful community. We love it. We're not moving. Um, and it is one of the more violent neighborhoods in the entire city of Chicago. And so um, having a police superintendent that that understands smart constitutional policing, um, that is um, part of our overall uh, public safety strategy. But also we have to make sure that we are finding opportunities for young people. And that includes employment. And I've said repeatedly um, that we are going to work. Uh, with expediency to double the amount of young people that we hire, not just for summer positions, but year-round positions. As we make these critical investments in the short and the long term, um, I believe this is a competent approach to having a better, stronger, safer Chicago. Now, you, you talked about young people there. We got to talk about what happened downtown uh, earlier in April. There was a got violent a few weeks ago in Millennium Park area. Uh, you put out a statement that read in part, it said, it's unacceptable and has no place in our city. However, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. Now, critics have argued that that didn't go far enough in that statement. Is there anything you would change about that statement? No. Um, in fact, as I've said, and this is, these are the principles in which I were raised under. You know, my father had this unique ability to bring structure and calm um, to every single situation. And that there is an accountability mechanism 
within that structure and that framework that I was raised under. And so again, as I said, we, we certainly do not condone any of the behavior. And we also have to make sure that we are offering a healthy critique to the behavior and a solution to the behavior. And we can do that without demonizing children. Here's why that's important. Mm -hmm. You know, the Department of Justice and the Department of Education um, have done these studies on how black children in particular are seen and viewed. And oftentimes the, the, the way black and brown students, but particularly black students were characterized, they were seen as four to six years older um, and they were described um, in a way that um, what all researchers have indicated are, are inhumane. And so when we demonize children as a whole, um, we are misrepresenting, um, I believe, um, entire groups of people. And under my leadership, we're not going to do that. A lot of people definitely agree. Don't demonize the children. But what do you say to the folks out there who feel like that statement kind of brushed away their concerns or brushed off their concerns and yeah. didn't really address what their safety concerns are? Well, then they didn't read the entire statement, right? The first part of my statement said that we do not condone um, delinquent or violent behavior. We don't condone that. And there are accountability mechanisms that we have in place um, to make sure that individuals who get um, out of line or uh, engage in violent behavior, that there are consequences for that. We can actually have consequence and not characterize entire groups of people in a way that, that, that eliminates our humanity. You know, look, Brandon, I've been a public school teacher in Chicago. I've dealt with some of the um, toughest children in the entire city. And we make assumptions um, that every single child that was downtown was there um, to, to commit violent acts, and they weren't. Now, there were obviously individuals there um, that, 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 that were violent, mm -hmm. and there has to be responsibility taken by those who actually engaged in, in, in violent behavior. We can do that without demonizing people. There's a difference between critiquing behavior and demonizing an entire group of people. And that's the type of sophistication that we have to bring to this presentation so that we don't find ourselves behaving irresponsibly in our attempt to bring structure and calm to the city of Chicago. So you're coming into office right before Memorial Day weekend. Uh, as we know, it gets warmer. Crime usually goes up around that time. So what's your strategy here to make sure what we saw early April doesn't become a pattern, doesn't happen again? Well, it's, it's a layered strategy. And it's, it's a strategy that um, our team has already begun to um, comprise um, uh, a full strategy that, again, that provides opportunity for individuals um, who wish to participate and enjoy the weather and the holiday. But we also have to make sure that we have a strategy um, that prevents what we saw um, a, a few weeks ago. You know, you know, we have a new um, interim superintendent um, that I'm excited about, uh, Chief Waller, who's going to work with uh, uh, with the police, to, with with the police, the rank and file, and as well as community stakeholders uh, to have a layered approach so that we can uh, not only reduce. Um, the violence that tends to happen over the weekend, but we set ourselves up for a long-term strategy that ultimately could lead to the further reduction of violence in the city of Chicago. Let's talk about that. Waller indicated that he doesn't plan to apply officially for the superintendent full-time job, uh, the permanent job there. So during this process, what are you looking for in your ideal top cop? Well, ideally, of course, as I've stated before, the characteristics that I'm looking for, first of all, someone who's compassionate, someone who's collaborative, and someone who's competent. 
But I'm also looking forward to working with the district council members. We made history yesterday where um, members of the district council were officially sworn in to provide that type of guidance that my administration is going to look to um, as we prepare to, to hire a permanent superintendent. But they have to be someone um, who understands the day-to-day -day experiences of rank-and-file uh, police officers, someone who understands the value and the importance of constitutional policing, but then someone who understands the value of collaborating with community organizations, the faith community, businesses as well, because small businesses and large businesses, CEOs and owners, all of them have come to me over the course of these last several weeks asking one question, what can we do to be helpful? And so all stakeholders will have the ability to contribute um, to the overall public safety strategy for the city of Chicago and having a superintendent who understands and values those voices, it's gonna be very critical for, for, for me uh, moving, moving in, the, you know, in these next four years. Let's move on to something that's really the fabric of a city like Chicago, transportation. You are a user of public transportation. We got that shot of you headed to uh, your final meeting as Cook County Commissioner. Uh, how would you rate the transit system right now? Um, give me, it, give me a yeah, one to ten. Yeah, I mean, it's incomplete. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't... One to wanna, ten, give me a scale. Yeah, I mean, it? look, I, I, you know, so I don't give out standardized uh, tests. <laughs> and so... You're so a I'm, former teacher, yeah, though. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of standardized tests. I was there. Look, there are, mo there are lines that work better than others, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been some assessment on just particular lines that have a, a better schedule that is actually... Um, um, delivered for the people of Chicago. I happen to use the green line the most, um, you know, the green line because it touches the west and south sides right. of the city of Chicago and is one of the, the most inequitable uh, line just in terms of accessibility. So there's a lot of work to be done there. I believe that there's an opportunity um, to transform our public transportation system in a way that sets us up for the future and the investments that I'm prepared to make uh, to revolutionize the system, quite frankly, um, is something that is top and front and center for my administration. That brings us to a question from a student at Westinghouse College Prep. What role do you think public transportation plays in promoting social equality, and how do you plan on making public transportation accessible to all of Chicago's communities? How do you plan on making yeah. public transit accessible to all communities? Smart question there from a senior. It really is. And shout out to the Westinghouse Warriors, of course, west side of Chicago. That's where I, my last teaching uh, gig was, uh, teaching social studies to freshmen and sophomore students. So, you know, look, I've made it very clear that children should ride transportation for free. Um, that's one way in which we make it accessible. Um, students who are moving about throughout the city of Chicago should not, ha should not have to pay to go to school, right? So that's thing one. The second thing that we have to make sure is that the, the transportation system, of course, um, has been used by individuals who are unhoused and many families who are struggling with um, their mental health um, um, use the public transportation as a, as a place to, to find their own security, right? And so having ambassadors a part of our public transportation system to offer services and to be available for families who are without homes and families who are struggling for mental health is going to be important. And then the third thing is this, you know, look, I've spoken to Chief Waller about this. Um, there is um, there's an opportunity in which the public safety um, within our transportation system that the police department has dedicated some responsibility for, that we can actually be far more strategic about where law enforcement um, is placed along public transportation and the type of engagement that we want law enforcement to have. 
we can have a city, quite frankly. I don't believe anyone wants a city where, where, where we feel like we're living in a police state. You know, I've had the, the privilege of traveling around the world. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you there's a difference when you have a real democratic structure like, like the city of Chicago and like our country. Yeah. Um, there's a real difference of how engagement looks with law enforcement, with occupation. And so there's a healthy balance there that we have to make sure that we're delivering a healthy, strong, reliable transportation system where people feel safe and secure without being dogged by this presence that the only way in which you can have that is by having a forced, um, a force. And so again, having a regular um, schedule, but also having a workforce that feels protected and invested in so that we can actually have a more uh, regular transportation system that works for everyone. How about leadership at the top? Will you remove CTA President Dorval Carter? I'm certainly gonna have a conversation um, you know, with, with Mr. Carter. Um, that conversation has not happened yet, um, but we will do that in the coming days. So we heard a lot of concerns about homelessness in the city. So take a listen to this question from an Old Town resident. How are you gonna take care of the young youth that's sleeping on trains and buses and at airports. Taking care of the unhoused mm. here in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a good transition from just our previous uh, question around public transportation. Look, there are 65,000 families in the city of Chicago without housing, of which almost 20,000 of them are students. And I've, you know, again, I go back to my time as a public school teacher here in Chicago. You know, when a child is without a home, um, it's, it's very difficult. It's almost impossible to be able to focus and concentrate um, in school when you have um, that type of insecurity. And so that's why I'm still very much um, a proponent of uh, the Bring Chicago Home Ordinance. Um, it's important that we actually have a revenue stream that provides support for affordable housing, for public housing, a pathway to home ownership, but also the full wraparound services, including transportation, uh, where um, families who are suffering from the trauma of being unhoused or the conditions that caused um, them to be unhoused, it's important as a city that we embrace those families and provide opportunities for them to not only receive housing, but the care that's needed in order for them to have a full transformative life and very much committed. And there's a, a lot of motivation, not just in the city of Chicago, but um, the state of Illinois um, is very much committed to, to addressing the unhoused. Like, look, we are a world-class city, but there are parts of our city um, that have been disinvested in and underfunded for so long that it's created these pockets of dryness. And so we have to make sure that we reroute if you will, the rivers, mm. right? So that there's real flow um, into the places that have been left without support for too long. Well, this kind of plays into what I want to ask you next about affordable housing. Mm. So last year, rent across the city shot up more than 8%, spiked for a lot of people. They looked at their new lease and were just like flabbergasted. So what will you do to make sure that Chicago is still a place that people can actually afford to live in? build more housing mm -hmm. um, and you know with the vacancy that we ex that exists in the city of Chicago that we create workforce development opportunities for those homes to be rehabilitated and then we place them on the market for families um, who are working working every single day whether they're bus operators train operators um, you know custodial letter carriers just everyday working people we create opportunities in a pathway to home ownership and the way we do that is by making sure that there's assistance uh, for down payment, 
um, but also making sure that the homes are placed on the market in a responsible way that incentivizes development as well as those families who really want to live in the city of Chicago. We incentivize their ability to actually afford uh, these places. Look, I see it as an opportunity, Brandon. The fact that we have, again, so many people who are without homes, we know that home ownership in particular is a pathway to generational wealth. Creating these opportunities with what we already have gives me comfort, right? Because it's not like we have to reinvent something. We can actually implement these policies that have already been available to people. Um, it's a matter of being far more hyper-concentrated and focused in neighborhoods, again, that have experienced a tremendous amount of disinvestment. And then again, creating jobs as well as a pathway to home ownership and building more affordable homes. When it comes to working on more affordable homes, I mean, the North Side, they lost 223 units in the O'Hare neighborhood alone. So how can you preserve that and make sure that people aren't kind of boxed out mm -hmm. of that? Because you say you want to build more affordable housing. There's, there's affordable housing money out there. It's not being utilized right now. How do you allocate those dollars better? We saw the situation with the Chicago Fire Facility being built on CHA land. Like, mm -hmm. like how do you work around that? Well, I mean, it's a matter of how we actually bring people together to help address um, what, as you described, has been an ongoing problem for a very long time. And that's why I've made a commitment to making sure that um, space where public housing once existed, that we reserve that space to to um, to build more public housing there. And, and you can do it in a way that provides the type of economic development that creates neighborhoods, because it's not enough to just build affordable housing. We have to make sure that we're building up the neighborhood school in that area. We have to make sure that there's an actual transportation line that moves through that community. We have to make sure that the manufacturing jobs, the biotech, the life science positions um, that we can expand and make available today, that they're also attached to those particular neighborhoods that we're investing in. It has to be a holistic approach. And that's going to require us to actually be collaborative, working with industry, working with labor, working with community organizations, obviously the office of the mayor of the state of Illinois, collaborating with the federal government and the county government to actually make sure that the city of Chicago, one of the greatest places in the entire world, actually makes good on his promise to be a world class city for every single neighborhood, regardless of what zip code you live in or your ethnic background you get to have a thriving opportunity in the city of Chicago. So part of being a world-class city is the business sector. Business is, is a part of what makes a city thrive. So let's go to our next viewer question here. Do you have a plan for small businesses based on the west side, specifically North Lawndale and uh, the Austin neighborhood? I run a food and beverage company and we're interested in opening up our first space on the west side. So we want to know if the city's offering any support. Support for small businesses, especially on the west side. Yeah, of course. Now, look, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm not going to be a mayor for the entire city of Chicago. But you're a west side I'm guy. a west sider, right? Yeah. So when she talks about Austin and North Lawndale, I mean, again, the neighborhood that I'm raising my family in is in Austin. We worship in North Lawndale. Um, and so I spend a lot of time on the west side of Chicago. But we're seeing this all over the city where we have these economic corridors um, that are available for the people of Chicago. But we haven't seen the type of investment. Um, that provides real expansion opportunities. And so I've said this on the campaign trail, and I'm committed to this, to making sure that we have micro grants available for our small business um, owners and those who imbibe the entrepreneur spirit um, that has you know, really created economic opportunities for so many families and communities throughout the city of Chicago. And so micro grants allow for the type of investment that 
does not place a full burden on that small business owner to simply rely upon loans because that can be very difficult as you are already making this incredible, tremendous sacrifice, right? To start a business. The city of Chicago, I believe, has an opportunity to help grow the economy by investing in people who are also prepared to invest in people. And that, of course, especially plays um, true or rings true for our small business owners. Will you uh, keep Mayor Lori Lightfoot's Invest Southwest program going? So I've taken a closer look at the Invest Southwest. Here are the three dynamics that are important to me for the Invest Southwest um, program or opportunity. We really have to commit real money to our Invest Southwest um, uh, program. I've committed $500 million. We have to make sure that minority-owned businesses really have an opportunity to participate. So it's continuing to be very intentional about drawing attention to small business owners that are, of course, black and brown in particular, and women-owned. And then the third uh, dynamic is to have a real community process, a community process that engages families and communities that are not just tied to an organization, like someone who is seeking the investment, but the community as a whole. Because if we can do those three things, then we're creating opportunities for the community to fully buy in and support whatever business that we are proposing or whatever business that's awarded, we're giving real money, again, going back to the micro grants versus the loans so that these businesses don't have the burden to have to front the money up, up front, making it very difficult to actually close on a deal, right? And then, of course, the middle uh, component, which is to really be intentional about the, the minority-owned businesses and particularly black and brown. What about the Mag Mile? Storefronts are empty. Um, it's just not as magnificent as it used to be. Mm. How do you bring that magnificence back to the Mag Mile? So the this is district overall. Yeah. So, you know, look, this is where we have to be creative. This is still the city of Chicago. We have the Democratic National Convention coming to the city of Chicago, which, of course, we're all excited about um, the opportunities where we can actually generate, you know, conservative, conservatively up to one hundred fifty million dollars as a result of the DNC coming to the city of Chicago. And so when it comes to life sciences, biotech, logistics, you know, these are the industries that really could find space and value in the city of Chicago. And here's the great incentive that corporations will have. Some of the most talented workers and individuals live in the city of Chicago, whether they have um, um, a certificate, if you will, for trades, or they have um, a bachelor's or a master's degree uh, in many of the industries that, quite frankly, are providing the innovative approach for the future of our economy. And that also includes making sure that we're investing in our, in our public education system to prepare the next workforce for the type of economic opportunities that will be available, particularly in manufacturing digital, as well as life sciences, biotech, and, and logistics as a whole. Okay, we got another question here from a student at Westinghouse College Prep, a school you know very well. I'm quite excited for Brandis Johnson's um, election. There's something I am concerned about, his tax proposal for transactions. I'm quite worried because that market employs over 100 indirectly, indirectly people, and we as a state and a city need that population, and especially that tax money. I've never heard a student talk about taxes before, but that, that's a good question. Financial transfer tax. Yeah. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, actually, he, he, when you guys were talking, kind of put some cold water on that idea. What about your tax proposals here? What, what are you going to do about that to make up that difference? Well, look, our budget plan that I released back in January was very intentional. I think it's actually, um, you know, um, powerful that a student um, 
actually read my budget plan. Mm -hmm. And that's what we wanted, yeah. right? To create real, um, um, a real debate, right? Here's what we have in the city of Chicago. We have a, we have a deficit, structural one. Um, we need these investments for small businesses. And there's been an over-reliance on property taxes, right? If we're gonna have revenue to make the critical investments that we need to see to it that no one is without a home, to see to it that there are good schools that are being invested in like Westinghouse, to see to it that we have a transportation system that's gonna require us to have revenue. Here's the bottom line. If other people have ideas of how we can generate the revenue that we need in order to make the critical investments to have a better, stronger state for Chicago, I'm open to those ideas. But let me also be very clear. You know, whether it's a real estate transfer tax, you know, whether it's a, um, you know, corporate head tax, uh, a jet fuel tax, we have taxes in the city of Chicago. Something and someone will be taxed. The question is, who will bear the responsibility, right? Because right now we have a system where working people and poor people overwhelmingly bear the responsibility for taxation in the city in which there is very little return on those investments. And what I'm saying is that everyone gets to participate in making sure that a better, stronger, safer Chicago actually comes into fruition. And the best way we can do that is by investing in people. Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson, I wish we had more time with you, but we thank you for joining us and uh, congratulations on your mayoral win. Hey, thanks again for having me. I'm looking forward to coming back. Absolutely.